0: Heavenly Father, we come before you on this issue of salvation. We pray that you would make it clear to us that we would have no questions concerning what salvation is and what we're to do with it. I pray that you would give us insight and wisdom that can only come from your Spirit. And Father, also just calm our hearts and may your peace rest upon us. Even though we live in precarious times, we pray that your peace would reign and rule not only in our hearts, but even in this land. In Jesus' name, amen. Concerning salvation, one of the most common ways salvation has been communicated, and you have it on your outline there, is what is known as the Romans' road. <coughs> Excuse me. First uh, John, and this actually isn't part of the Romans' road, but First John 5.13, you have it right in front of you, that these things... I have written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Of course, it's of the King James. And that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So there is nobody who can go before God and say, God, I am good, and here is why. God says there's not one of us on earth that is good. The only one that was ever good was who? That's right. And he was called good. And when he was called good, Jesus asked a question of the person who called him good. What did he say? He said, why do you call me good? Because there is only one who is good, and that is God. And that's a veiled reference to his deity there. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It just reiterates what I just said. Romans 5.13 Wherefore as by one man sin entered the world and death by sin and so death passed unto all men for that all have sinned which means when Adam who was created perfect and Eve when they took of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil at that point their very natures were corrupted. That human nature has been passed on to all of us. Since it was corrupted We are therefore corrupted. We do not escape it. Some people say, well, if I don't sin, I go to heaven. Even if you did not commit a single sin, your very nature prohibits you from going to heaven. So even if you were being able to go to God and say you were a, um, a quadriplegic and you were not able to communicate and your mind didn't work quite right, God can choose to have grace on that individual, and I think that he does. But they still have that fallen nature on the inside. Even though they never spoke anything that was against God's commandments or ever did anything that was against God's commandments, they still are not by themselves considered righteous. And once we have all sinned or have had that sin nature, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that is the only way to get that eternal life. And when sin comes... There's one penalty, one judgment, and an act of justice that must be implemented, and that is the shedding of blood. Because by the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God commendeth his love towards us. I like the King James in this. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, God showed that he loved us simply by sending his son and giving his son as a sacrifice. That's how we know what love is, the fact that Jesus came and died for us. And then Romans ten nine through 13, I usually quote ten nine and 10, that if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. Here it's unto righteousness. And with your mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says whoever believes on him shall not be ashamed for there is no difference between Jew and Greek for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him for whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved are there any exceptions there there's not one exception anybody who calls on the Lord to save them they have this promise they will be saved do you always feel like you're saved no You don't. Matter of fact, if you sin, you say to yourself more often than not, Why do I keep on doing this if I am saved and God has given me His Spirit? It seems like the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do are the things that I do. How come I can't stop? Well, God says, You can't because of your flesh. Your flesh wants to overtake it. As soon as you give an inch, it takes a mile. That's why we are to crucify the flesh every day. Now, can you imagine crucifying your own flesh? Just get that picture in your mind. There's a cross laid out in your house somewhere, and you're supposed to lay yourself on it and nail one hand down and nail your feet down and have somebody else nail your other hand down. You're to kill yourself every day. Now, you know I'm not talking literally here, but what I'm talking about is your motivations that you have are not to be allowed to reign in your body. Again, you're not going to be 100% successful in that because you still have the flesh, and that's where God's grace comes in. And of course, a prayer for salvation, I wrote one down there. Forgive me of my sins, come into my heart. And by the way, that's a little colloquialism. There is nowhere where you will see God come into my heart. But he does say he will place his Holy Spirit inside of you. And the seat of emotion and understanding is the heart. That's why that is prayed. And so if you ever hear somebody say, "You shouldn't pray for Jesus to come in his heart, you can't or your heart. You can't dissect that thing and find it in there. It's the seat of understanding is what is being talked about. And it goes on to say, "I trust you to take me to heaven when I die. Thank you for saving me." Something as simple as that. There's not a formula in order to get saved, you can just simply say, "Jesus save me." And that will suffice. He'll know the transgressions of your heart and the attitude that you have concerning that sin, which is number one here. Sin. Let me turn to the key. Oh, you know what? Before I do that, there's something else I want to point out here. So you have the Romans Road. You also have the four spiritual laws. I think this was developed by Bill Bright and Campus Crusade for Christ. And he, he would produce this um, little track, and it would give you four things that you need to know that you need to get saved and why you need to get saved. The number one thing there is God loves you and offers and offers a wonderful plan for your life. And that's what a person would say or they would read through the tract there for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So he has a plan for all of our lives. The second thing that they would give you the second law is man is sinful and separated from God therefore he cannot know and experience God's love and plan for his life. The Bible says no man seeks after God at any time. In other words, you didn't one day think, I'm going to search after God. It was God that put somebody in your path or put the desire in your heart for you to reach out to him. If you were left to your own, you would not seek God at all whatsoever. And then you have the Holy Spirit in the Greek. He's called the paraclete. You're traveling this way, and the paraclete comes alongside the Holy Spirit. And that's where you get the promptings before you get saved that, hey, you know, the Holy Spirit talks to you. Hey, where are you going? What are you doing? And he brings somebody else along, you know, from this side, somebody who's filled with the Holy Spirit, and they talk to you. And they talk to you in such a way to give you the gospel. Uh, Acts chapter 17 talks about this, that everybody was born for a particular time, a particular place, all the people that you have met in your life has been by design. God has set that up so that you might have the greatest chance of being saved. When we get to the great white throne judgment, people say, you never sent anybody to me. Au contraire. He's given the witness of creation. We can look at creation and see God exists, and there are other people. Chances are in your lifetime, and if you live in the United States, you're going to hear the gospel. In the 1040 window, you, which is... Uh, 10 degrees and 40 degrees, the latitude lines above the equator. In that area around uh, Saudi Arabia and India, it goes all the way around the globe there, except for over here, that is the area where you might not hear the gospel. Uh, for those of you who went to Mexico, what's the chance that you'll hear the gospel in the United States? How many times a day? 360 times in one year in the United States, you have the opportunity to hear the gospel. How about in Mexico? Twice is what would you say? Twice. So in other words, twice a day, almost, you'll be able to hear the gospel. In the 1040 window, how often would you hear? I saw this. <laughs> Once every hundred years. That's why the missionaries need to go over there. Now, those of you who have heard me talk about Mexico before already know that. So man is sinful and separated from God. Scripture says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Third, the third law, Jesus Christ is God's only capitalized underline highlight provision for man's sin. Through him you can know, experience God's love, and plan for your life. Now Jesus on this he was very myopic I don't mean that in a bad way and when I say myopic it's like he had one direction one line of sight he said I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through me by saying that he was declaring all other religions to be false if he said it you have to choose whether or not to believe it if you don't believe that well that's contrary to scripture and we want to make sure scripture is the highest if if somebody comes up to you and wants to know your standard of who God is and what your religion is you want to make sure you just refer to the Bible you may not understand everything there but you simply want to say look Jesus said he's the only way and nobody comes to the father except through him and if you don't believe in Jesus you're not going End of story, put a period at the end of the sentence, close the book. You know, that's how Jesus looked at it. Now, some people don't like that. What's the problem if God created two ways? No, what I'm saying is, what if God created two ways to get to heaven instead of one way? What would be the problem with that? say he did say he did and he created another one now refer to ourselves what would we want if he gave us Jesus on the cross and maybe another way we would want a third way and a fourth way and a fifth way and every single person would want their own way to get there so Jesus just cut all that out he just said there's one way that's it Do not pass code, do not collect $200. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. That is John chapter 14, verse 6, by the way. And the fourth law is we must individually receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Then we can know and experience God's love and plan for our lives. That means if you're in a church, it doesn't make you a Christian, right? That means if you go up with family members that doesn't make you a Christian. That means if your parents are Christians, it doesn't make you a Christian. There's no second generation Christians. There's only first generation Christians. So every person standing alone before God on this earth must declare that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. There's no other way to do it. You don't get in in batches or bushels. It is by individually stating that you wish to be saved. Now, under sin, number one, Transgression or trespass against God of falling away or missing the right path. That is the declarative statement about sin. Sin could also be defined as breaking one of the Ten Commandments. That would be a sin of commission. There is also the sin of omission. Not doing something that you know that you should do, right? Uh, for instance, in Matthew chapter 25 in verse 32... I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. And I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, "Lord, when did we see you hungry, feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger and invite you in, or needed clothes and clothe you? When did you see? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you?" The king will reply, "I tell you the truth. Whoever did." "...whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me." Then he will say to those on his left, "...apart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me." They also will answer, "...Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison?" and did not help you. He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did or did not do for one of the least of these you did not do for me, then you will go away or then they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. He's telling them something they didn't do and that disqualified them. That was a sin because they didn't have Christ. They thought they could just be righteous. In the context that this is given here, he's talking about those in Israel, he said, one of my brothers, one of the nation of Israel, one of the Jews, you saw these Jews and they were in need and you didn't help them. So the Jews that did help their fellow Jews, those, he said, you are righteous, you are living according to the law. Those who did not help their fellow Jews, they were not living according to the law and therefore they were disqualified. And of course, I, I say living by the law, God always saves by grace. He doesn't save by the law. There's this idea also of original sin. I touched on this before. Uh, romans five twelve therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. if you would say, Well, God, if you would have had me be there i wouldn 't have fallen right yeah. and so you need to go back and put me there. How is that possible it 's not possible because you were born into corruption. You have to be transformed. There's no way that you could go back and make the right decision because you were utterly corrupted. He would not give you the chance to make the decision to eat from the tree of life because then you would live forever to your peril in this body eternally. That's why Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. They weren't allowed to eat of the tree of life because they would have lived forever. As it was, their bodies were so perfect. Hundreds of years they lived for, and so did all the patriarchs until the flood, or all the, not the patriarchs, but all the people before the flood. They lived hundreds of years. Now, going on here, um, there's different views on this, and I'm just going to touch on these. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. Uh, The Calvinists believe that sin was imputed to the entire human race, so that we are depraved and also that we are dead and we cannot turn to God. So that sin is pervasive everywhere. Then there's the Arminianist that basically says we are prone to sin, but this proneness does not imply guilt. In other words, we have this nature that wants to sin, but we don't have this original sin in us. It didn't come from Adam and Eve. And there's a few others. There's no connection between sin of Adam and the character and actions of his descendants. There's no sin connection whatsoever. That's Pelagianism. And then there's the unpardonable sin. And John Wesley thought that that couldn't be committed today or in his day. It could only be committed in the time of Christ. Uh, Today it would be a conscious and stubborn rebellion against God. That's the unforgivable sin. To explain that a little more fully. If you go to somebody and you give them the gospel and you give it over and over and over and they say, no, 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 you don't go to heaven. That is declaring that the Holy Spirit, whatever he said, was lying to you. Therefore, whoever declares in word or in deed that the Holy Spirit is lying, that is a blasphemy that will not be forgiven. John Wesley said, no, that can only be attributed to somebody in the time of Christ. And so there's a little bit of a theological debate. Let's go on. The atonement. Secondly, to appease, calm, quiet, pacify, satisfy. Another word that is used in the King James is ransom, the price to pay for redemption. Some people misinterpret this and say, well, God required a ransom in order for the people to get paid. It's like he was holding the human race hostage and you had to bring this bag of gold to him which would have been in the life of christ and then he'll be satisfied once you pay the ransom it's just god is a god of justice and so he is a just god and he has to judge sin always he will always judge it and there's a price to pay for that sin and since it's not our life in eternal fire and judgment it was christ who did it but the reason he rose from the dead is because he was sinless that was also the way that he could be the sacrifice is because he was sinless, where we have the sin. That's the atonement, to appease. So God was appeased, the father. The penalty, there was an appeasement made. If God was calm and quiet. He was pacified after that. And he says, okay, my justice is satisfied. That's why Jesus had to die. Going on, number three, forgiveness. To put away, to completely cancel Cancelation, did I say cancel or canceled there? To be completely canceled, there you go. Cancellation of punishment as a result of sinful conduct. And that is what Jesus did for us. The punishment that would have fallen upon us, God had it. What do you guys think of that uh, video down in Mexico? Was that awesome? I don't know who saw it those of you who were there you know that tribe he witnessed to him for three months was it three months three months every day five days a week twice a day gave him the gospel started from creation showed him the world went to genesis and talked about abraham and the patriarchs and jesus and the prophets and all of that and what was the reaction of the tribe once they found out they could be saved how long did they celebrate? Two and a half hours. They were jumping up and down for two and a half hours. They picked up that missionary and put them on the shoulders. And they were, they were just going, they were raucous almost. You know, they, they, they were all jumping in unison. They would get real close shoulder to shoulder and they started jumping and they were rejoicing. And they, and they it looks like the whole village got saved at that point. And that's where they knew that the cancellation of punishment was enforced. Justification. Do you have justification? Okay. Justification is an act of God's free grace. He pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight. Only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Now, to give a simpler description of this. Justification is when you go before a court of law and the judge looks at you, you have been arraigned, the charges against you have been read, they ask you how you plead, and you say, guilty. God at that point says, my son paid your penalty, not guilty, and he takes the gavel and he slams it down and he goes, you're free to go. That is God performing a judicial act where he says not guilty because you were covered with the blood of Christ. That's what it is. People who are not saved are not justified. They're not declared just in his sight. And Jesus, God, he justifies us by our believing. We have to believe that we have been declared right. If we do not believe we're declared right, well, some may say, you're really not. But you have to accept salvation by faith. That's how you come to salvation. You have to believe that he's able to do this. You have to believe the stories in the Bible and everything that's set up. You have to believe in the right Jesus. If you do that, then you're going to be saved. But it's all by faith. Now, as my theology teacher, Dr. Donald Thorson, used to say, Yes, it's by faith, but it's a reasonable faith. It's not where you take out your brain and set it to the side and fill it full of air and say, I'm just going to believe without even thinking about this. It is a reasonable faith. If you go through, um, several people uh, through uh, history have tried to disprove the Bible and they end up getting saved. Uh, Josh McDowell is one of them. He wrote an evidence that demands a verdict he set out to prove the Bible wrong. He was just so tired of these Christians running around giving the gospel, and he ended up getting saved. And Josh McDowell, he started his ministry, and he's been influencing the world with his ministry. So that's justification. There are several verses. I don't think you have them written out. No, you don't. But you can look those up later. Regeneration, a change in our moral and spiritual nature, whereas justification is a change in our standing before God, a new birth. And so, justification is where we stand before God. He says, Not guilty, but a change in moral and spiritual nature, that's regeneration. God gives you what's a, two words that go with this in John chapter 3? Yes. You must be born again. <clears throat> Some people say the translation should mean, or should read, born from above. But however you slice and dice it, you have to be born into the kingdom of God. You cannot just transfer. You have to give the, get this new life. You have to become this new creation. You guys, I'm sure, have heard that. Greg Laurie's uh, broadcast, I think, uh, New Creation. Is that, that his broadcast name, Greg Laurie? I think it is. And so what's inside if before you are saved, you will look at some act that is sinful, according to God, and you'll go, so what? It's no big deal. Just because you call it wrong doesn't make it wrong. You get saved, nobody has to tell you. Now, let me digress a little bit. Have you ever seen those videos of dogs that know they have done wrong? Yes. <laughs> I saw one the other day, the golden retriever. He knew he had done something wrong, and the owner was, you know, you knew you did wrong. And the dog put down his head, and he was, he was putting up his paws, and like, please stop, this is killing me. Even a dog knows when they have done wrong, right? Most dogs, not all dogs, but... Most dogs, they know what they've done. Most people know when they have done wrong. Now, there are a few that have a chemical imbalance and they have no idea, no concept of right and wrong. That if you hurt somebody, it's bad. They go, it's it's no big deal. But there are a select few. Everybody else has a conscience. God has given it to all of us. But it really becomes manifest when you get saved. All of a sudden, these thoughts that you have to sin... They rise to the surface, and right with that comes the moral law with the Holy Spirit right there. and says, I don't think you should. And your flesh goes, I think I should. And then you have to decide if you're going to offer your body as a living sacrifice. Again, I, I don't think anybody is going to be successful in that, but God says, on the other hand, you can choose not to. Where before you got saved, you can't choose not to sin. In other words, you're going to sin no matter what. It's just to what degree. So this regeneration, you get a new moral and spiritual nature. Sanctification simply means to be holy. Separation to God. Being conformed to the character, image, and holiness of Jesus Christ by faith and persevering obedience to God and His Word through the agency of the Holy Spirit. Now there's different views of this. There's a... um, a continual sanctification where you wake up one day you go okay I'm going to live separate for God today not for the world and it's part of your sanctification process that people talk about that you have to choose to do what is right then there's the other part of sanctification God takes you like a vessel he says okay I have made you I'm going to put you over here run you through the kiln which is your trials that come he pulls you out of the kiln you have a little ting to you now he says I'm going to maybe glaze you a little bit and fire you again another fiery trial in your life and he pulls you back out and he goes okay now you're fit for the kingdom for the master's use you are set apart for him in somebody's house you have vessels that are quite valuable at least to you and then there are vessels that are not so valuable how valuable is your tupperware not so valuable maybe you can get it anytime just go to a party or call somebody up how valuable is your waterford crystal head and shoulders right you don't pull out that crystal unless there's something special well God wants to make you into that waterford crystal and he wants to use you for his purposes okay that's sanctification being set apart. Going on. Resurrection. This is the reunion of the body with the soul that has been separated by death. This is all having to do with salvation. In other words, when we die, we go to heaven. We don't go to a waiting place. That is a doctrine. Purgatory is a doctrine of the Catholic Church. It has been made up and when it was made up, it was used as a coercive tactic. And then they, the Catholic Church came up with indulgences. Martin Luther rebelled against this in the 16th century, 1500s. And he said when he went to Jerusalem, he saw that people were paying money for indulgences. Uh, they would give a gift. Maybe if somebody's bones were in an ossuary there and they would give this gift and then the priest would dictate that, well, that's 10,000 years out of purgatory that you won't have to spend because you've given this money. And Martin Luther was pretty upset about that. And so um, it, that is... I'm sorry, I just lost my place without my glasses on here. I am on resurrection. So the reunion of the body... With the soul, what happens when we die? There's not a way station. We go immediately to be with the Lord. Uh, There comes a question well, what happens with us when we go to be with the Lord and our body is here? There's a couple of explanations of what happens. We don't know for sure what happens. Maybe He gives us a temporary body. Maybe He doesn't. Maybe it's outside of time and as soon as we die, we are at the rapture because. There is no time with God. Now, I've talked about this before. It's like a film strip. It's like a row of chairs. I can see every row of chairs right there. Say that's the 1st century, 2nd century, 3rd century, 4th century, 5th century, 6th century. I see all of them at the same time. I blow a trumpet blast apart from time, and everybody comes up at the same time. Everybody died at the same... There's no time with God, right? Right? That's another way to explain it. Now, that's another mind warping experience, if you want to think about that for a little bit. <clears throat> but uh, though, there are several explanations for that. Maybe we're just in a, a place of rest. It's not soul sleep. Now, soul sleep is not talked about in the Bible. So, when we go to heaven, there is some way that we have some modus operandi that we are able to utilize up there in heaven. And we are going to be reunited with our bodies at some point and. Uh, First Corinthians chapter 15 talks about that, how we are going to get this brand spanking new body that will never die. And it says in Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So our resurrected body will rise again, of course. In some sense, the identity of the body will be preserved. We will know each other. Uh, I don't think we're going to look too much like we look now. Uh, And you might say, well, how old am I going to be? You're going to be eternally young. And whatever the age that is, that's what God says. (coughs) I have no idea how to calculate that one. And the body has changed and it's refined to fit the new surroundings. uh, And it's going to be a glorified body. This resurrection will take place at the coming of Christ and the power is of God in Christ who said, I am the resurrection and the life. So that's how it's going to happen. This body will be transformed. It will be remade. It is only like a seed of a piece of fruit or from a tree. That's what this body is like. The glory of that body is going to be just immense. Then there is this glorification which is to be exalted to dignity in company. To exalt to dignity and company, similar with uh, to approve together, to join in approving, to glorify together. It's where everybody is going to be lifted up. That's where the downtrodden, the Lord is going to lift up the downtrodden. It will happen at this point. I think the angels will marvel at what has taken place and I believe everybody who is perishing will witness who we are. They're going to see us up there and we're going to see them the family, friends, all the people we know, and even the people we don't know, I think they'll look at us, and God will point to us, and, and I don't mean this in a um, prideful way where we turn to somebody else and go, I'm going to get a new body, and you're not. You know, it's, it, it's not like that. God is going to say, this is my bride, and he is the one that is going to point to the church and lift the church up It is a unique thing that is happening here. It is quite special, and anybody who belongs to Christ is going to be part of that. And there's going to be lament. There's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth, not only for the sin that people committed. Maybe there's going to be regret that they did not choose Christ because, after all, punishment is forever. It doesn't end, even though we will not remember it, just like life is forever. Now, concerning salvation, there are different theological views. This won't take uh, too long, but there, there's a big debate out there. If you start doing some homework into salvation and how it happens, how it takes place, you know, there's, there's a couple of different views. And Christians spend time arguing about these things rather than just settling on Scripture Now, as far as we are concerned here at Calvary Chapel, we are neither on the right-hand side of this or the left-hand side of this. Now, I like to say that because it's Calvary Chapel. But if you take the verses, it's easy to get there. Now, what am I talking about? I'm talking about there are those who believe that you were born to burn, that you were born to be judged, that there's no way absolutely, you can be saved. If that's how you were destined before God, before, or when God destined you, predestined you, before the foundations of the earth, you were destined to go to hell. And there's no way you can be saved. There are Christians that believe that. Then there are those who'd say, God's going to save everyone. Both are wrong. Scripture says, that we are deceived, we are utterly depraved, and we will not turn to God to be saved. On the other hand, God entreats us and says, whosoever will, let him come and drink of the living water. Jesus is the living water. He proclaimed this at a a feast. He stood up and said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the, the water of life as who I am. That's what he said. He who drinks of me will never thirst again. Who have drinks of this water will never thirst again. And he's pointing it out like he's saying I am the one. He's saying that he is the one. And everybody needs to turn to him. But they have to be willing. So the Bible teaches both. The Bible teaches that we're completely depraved. We'll not seek after God at any time. And then on the other hand... People say everybody's going to heaven because God is a loving God and He will forgive everybody. Well, they're forgetting that God is just, that He is going to judge sin, but He has made a provision. Yes, He did choose you. The scripture did say that, it does say that. But yes, you have a free will. How is it true that you have a free will and that God calls you? Which came first? The chicken or the egg? Well, I think God called us first, but in the end, we have to choose. So both of them are true. Now, that'll give you another brain cramp if you just keep on it. So far, we have three brain cramps, and it's going to tie you up in knots if you just want to dig in this stuff. And believe me, the material on this is voluminous. It is all over the place. It's the classic Calvinist-Armenius debate. There are some Calvinists who would say, You don't even want to evangelize. I need to digress. In order to get saved, uh, the Calvinists will say you have to be regenerated first, which is born again. If you get this new moral compass and this new spiritual life, then you have to go and be justified. My problem with that is, is there anybody that has ever regenerated but never gets justified? and they put it in this row. And what happens to that person? They're born again, but they're not justified before God. Now, I'm getting into the weeds here. Okay? I just want to let you know. <clears throat> I want you to understand that regeneration, justification, the one that takes place later is glorification. These things take place as far as we are concerned at the same time. And we tried to divide them up. Once I was given a test on how this process takes place and it laid it out like that that you have to be born again before you can be justified and justified before you can be sanctified and sanctified before you can be glorified and you had to put it in the right order I don't think there's an order when you get saved you're justified you're sanctified all of those things take place at the same time we cannot separate those but we like to make our columns and rows and so i just say it all happens at once Not everybody's going to be saved, and not anybody is condemned to hell. Otherwise, what kind of God would come up and say, for God so loved the world, and you're speaking to the world, but there's some in the world that don't have a chance to be saved. Would that just be mean or what? That would be like um, a man, a grown man, going to a little girl, five years old, and say, do you want this cupcake? And the little girl goes, yes. And you go, no. And you walk away. I mean, that's what God would be doing to us. He would be going, do you want this salvation? And you go, yes. And he goes, no. You're destined to go to hell. And that just does, that doesn't fit with the character of God because God is also merciful. He ha- I asked my theology teacher this once when I had a light turn on. I went to him and I said, now wait a second. God is just. These are propositional statements. God is just. He said, yes. I said, God is love. He said, yes. God is merciful. He said, yes. I said, that means God had to extend to us mercy. And he said, correction, God is free to extend us mercy. And that gets, again, a little bit into the weeds. What do you mean free to extend mercy? Well, God is free. He's not bound by anything. And I was trying to give it human terminology that God is bound. He has to give us this mercy. No, he gives us mercy, but he's free to give us this mercy. That's why Jesus died to set us free, right? So we are free to do God's will where before we were bound up. Well, God was free to show us mercy. And he must... From my standpoint, my human standpoint, show us mercy if he's a merciful God. And if he doesn't, then he's an unjust God because he is merciful. Okay, I'm going around in a circle now. So this idea that some people say you're not saved and some people say you are saved and everybody's going. It, it's just don't get involved in it. If you want to read on it, that's great. There are some good books. You can go through it. But I've had more discussions on this subject, I think, than any other subject. Now, there's this... I'm going to mix these up a little bit. But there's this idea, too, that when Christ died and his blood was spilled, was it good for the entire world or just those people getting saved? The answer was John 3.16 that for God so loved the world and so it is for the entire world. Question. Is the atoning blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ effectual for everyone? You have to accept it. If you don't accept it, his blood sacrifice is worthless for you. Now you see this argument? It's like, what difference does it make? Those people who choose God, the atonement works. Who gets to choose God? Everyone. No one is going to be left out if they want to. So on one hand, Mark's correct. It's for God to so love the world. On the other hand, well, it's only going to be effectual for those who get saved. And people, you know, these, these Christians, they go up the spiral tower and they lock the room, and on the inside is all ivory. Ivory tower Christian. They sit and they contemplate this stuff. Now, these are the great debates throughout history. Myself, I'm a simple-minded man. And so some of these I look at and I go, you spend all this time doing this? And Scripture, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. I, I love going through some of the arguments, but when it comes down to it, it's just... Set it all to the side. It doesn't matter. The, the point for us is, have you accepted Christ or not? Are you waiting for the justification to show up? Do you feel the infilling of the Holy Spirit? Has He baptized you? Has He not? Have you been sanctified, set apart? All of these things. Do you, do you wait? Has it happened yet? Now we have codified that stuff. In uh, some churches, you have christening. You have... What is it uh, where you receive the Holy Spirit? What is that day called? No, 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 no. In Catholicism. Confirmation. 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 That's it. They set it up for the child to get confirmed that you have received the Holy Spirit. And this is it. And for girls that give a white dress, right? Or boys, this little suit thing. I think they... I don't know what it is. I was never Catholic. I never got confirmed. And so you have infant baptism, you have confirmation, you go through the catechism. And then, uh, I'm not sure the Catholic theology on that, but we codify it and say, this is what you have to do. And that's where you start having a religion and not a relationship with the Lord. You just do these things, you go to confession, you get absolution from your sins by the priest who is there, and Jesus Christ is our high priest. And he says, and I, I don't mean this as an attack on the Catholic church. Every religion, every sect of Christianity has its problems. Of course, except for Calvary Chapel, we are perfect. Actually, if I knew something that was wrong, I would change it. I I would come to you and I I would say, I believe this is wrong. That's why I planted here, is because in most things, I believe they have a balanced view. There's a couple of things that have happened over the years, and I'm going, I'm not quite so sure. But no sect of Christianity is perfect. So this idea that some are not saved, some are saved, I believe it's in the middle. Is the atonement just for the saved or is it not for the unsaved? It's, just bring it to the middle a little bit. We want to have a balanced view on that. Um, can you, there are some that say you can lose your salvation. And there are some that say you can never lose your salvation. What about that? I will tell you that if you are truly saved, you cannot lose your salvation. How do you know if you're truly saved? You'll persevere. Well, wait a second. But even if I don't... Pert- this is called free grace. This comes out of Dallas Theological Seminary. There's a couple of people that teach. You can. I had one guy in the church do this. Uh, I still know the family and uh, I, I still know him. I haven't seen him in years. You and I know him, right? And it's this free grace who are the two authors I can't think of St. Hodges Hodges and who else yeah I, I forget what it starts with but these guys would teach that you can get saved go forward and then I'm going to use this word live like hell and God will still save you because you went forward I think that if you do that you were never saved Now, what is the interval in which that has to start happening? It can be a day, a year, 10 years, 20 years. You can be inside the church for 20 years. But does the scripture say you can fall away? It does. It says you can fall away. Some people say, well, that's losing your salvation. I would say you are never saved. How do I justify that? Parable of the sower of the seed. You have the first seed. It's thrown onto the rocky path. The seed is the word of God. The birds, who represent Satan, comes along and takes the seed, which is the word of God, and that seed never germinates. It's as hard as concrete. It's as hard as this concrete right here. There's no way that seed is ever going to germinate. The enemy comes along, takes it. It's never effectual in the life of the individual. The second one is the weeds. I think it's the... No, weeds is the third one. The second one is the uh, rocky ground. It's thrown into the rocky ground. And since it's rocky, most of the time, there's not much soil. When the plant, it actually grows. It comes up. The Word of God grows in the life of the individual. And the plant comes up. But then when persecution comes, it scorches the plant because it doesn't have root. There's no depth to it. And it falls away, never producing fruit. How long does that plant that person need to be in the church? Like I said, one, ten, twenty years that person could be in the church and then fall away. Uh, the third one is the cares of this life and the pursuit of other things like riches. You can be in the church, the, the seed falls on the ground. It could be good soil, but it has weeds all around it. And you know when it starts raining, every hill around here is going to turn green with weeds. And if you had in the middle of those weeds a pumpkin seed or a watermelon seed, what are the chances that watermelon is going to produce? Pretty much nil anywhere around here. You're probably not going to get anything from that. And in the parable of the sower of the seed, it gets choked out to where it cannot survive. How long is that person in the church? Again, it could be for decades. And then they fall away. Scripture talks about this. How do you know if you're truly saved? or you're going to persevere to the end. There are times where you feel like you're saved. And Scripture says that. He gives us His deposit guaranteeing the things that are to come and we're going to be saved. And those who are saved, they do not go out from us. If they go out from us, they were never part of us. And I'm not talking about just lakeside. They leave the church and they don't go to church anywhere. And they get out of fellowship. Know this, that if somebody does that, there's no assurance for that individual that they are saved. And if they rely on, well, I went to church when I was 13 and I went forward and I'm okay. God and I are just like this. I'm sorry, you're not like this. Because God said in Hebrews chapter 7, excuse me, chapter 9, no, 10 verse 25. You shall not forsake the gathering together of the brothers as is the habit of some. And all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, if you're being obedient to Christ, if you're following him, you're going to go to church. Also, you're going to follow through with the works. If you are saved, you're going to have the works. There's going to be works that are going to manifest. But if the person leaves Christ, leaves the fellowship of the saints, gets burnt out, gets offended by somebody, there's no assurance that they are saved. But the person who is in the church, and they keep on persevering, they get knocked down, they get right back up, they praise the Lord even though they want to be angry at the Lord. You know, there may be times in your life where you want to shake your fist at God and say, why did you allow? You could have changed this, and you didn't. So now I'm mad at you. And each one of us, I think at one point or another, will go through that to one degree or another. But do you come back and say, you are God in heaven, and here I am on earth you're free to do what you want all Christians will eventually be in that line even though we may fluctuate you will not fall away from the Lord you will persevere to the end right up to the day of your death you will long for the Lord's coming you will say this is it so if somebody falls away is there anybody in here who doesn't know somebody who has fallen away you see that many are called but few are chosen wide is the road that leads to destruction and many there be that find that but narrow is the road that leads to salvation and when I'm talking narrow valley of the shadow of death if you've read Pilgrim's Progress going through that that's a several hundred year old book by John Bunyan you can read that there's one path that's over in Asia somewhere That goes along a steep cliff and it's just boards and some places the boards have even rotted out there's just a cable there and you got to kind of hang on the rock to go around it's a very precarious path it's like that salvation is like that and you must go it alone somebody's going to be in front of you and somebody's going to be behind you but you're the one that is holding on you think well i can't hold on that's right jesus has your hands holding on that cable and he's going to make sure you make it through if you're truly saved you will persevere to the end Okay. Let's see if I want to give you any more of that. By the way, if you want to do some more study on this, there is a uh, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. There is another side to that, the Arminius side, and then there's the Calvary Chapel side. We don't hold to either one. We are kind of in the middle. The Armenius would say you could lose your salvation. Absolutely, you can walk away from the Lord. Now, we would say, now, if you're truly saved, you're going to remain in the Lord. If you're in the Lord for ten years, the conversion didn't take because God promises never to leave you nor forsake you. The only other explanation you could go to is the free grace side. Well, you're just having a bad stint with sin and you walked away from the Lord. But you're still going to be saved in the end. So any questions about salvation? How salvation works? What the Bible says about salvation? Mark? Yeah. Well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Also, if you are serving well, Scripture says you have great assurance of your faith because you can see how God is working in you to influence others. And so you just, when you don't feel like it, that's when you're called upon, okay, just have faith, just get back up and keep on walking. As far as the Lord is concerned, whatever he would ask of you, whether it's something personal, you say yes. If he asks some task of you, say yes. If a door is there and you think you can push it open without too much difficulty, walk through it. I'm telling you, anybody who walks, just pedal to the metal with the Lord. Just says, whatever you want, Lord. Okay, I'll do anything. You know? You walk like that, and God, he'll just start slinging open doors. And every once in a while, you, oh, okay, I guess he wants me to go right. And so you, you turn to the right. You just keep on going. Just don't stop. If you persevere like that, and God is able to make you stand. He's able to persevere. If you go, I, I am so done, you know, and he goes, oh, you're not. You're just being perfected. And he goes, let's get up. Come on, let's go. And you're going to be tired and it's going to be difficult. And you're going to say, this world really stinks. Yeah, it does really stink. And that's why God's going to make a new one. But in the meantime, just hang with it. Don't give up. Do what you're called to do. And when you don't, just say, God, forgive me. I've broken fellowship with you. Please restore me. Renew it right spirit within me. Wasn't it uh, David in Psalm 51 after he had uh, slept with Bathsheba and killed uh, Uriah the... Was he a Hittite? Uriah the Hittite? You know, her husband had him murdered. You know, and then Nathan pulled the cloak away and said, oh, look what you've done, David. And David, oh, renew a right spirit within me. By the way, that's a song. Uh, One day we'll probably... Sing that in here. So that, that's my encouragement to you guys. Just stick with the program. You're going to make mistakes. Just ask God, please. God, forgive me, restore me. Yes. Well, you can know this, though. You can know that the person does not have assurance.
1: Not necessarily. I did not go to church for
0: years. But you're here now. Okay. Okay, I have a couple of statements on that. Now, when we give our anecdotal stories, when we tell the way that we think things ought to be and the way that things are, we always have to step back and look at the scripture. I would ask you a question Did you walk away from God's commandment to fellowship? I I knew people that we would talk about the Lord or share. Now, I'm talking about in a church setting because God builds his church. Okay, now see, at that particular point, God says that if you go out from us, and he's talking about the corporate church, not just Lakeside, I'm talking about Christendom. If you walk away from Christendom and you hold in your heart, no, I'm still saved, I think that's a false assurance. If, well, I'm talking about Scripture now. I'm not talking about anecdotal stories. When Scripture says, if you serve well, You have great assurance, but if you leave the church... For instance, I know people who have left Christendom and gone to Mormonism. And they say they're still in the church, that they still believe in God. They do not. They have left. That is a different God. God is very specific on his verses. And unless you can point to a particular verse and say, This is my justification for believing what I do then it is false. It, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end thereof is, dis, is destruction. And so if somebody says, you know, I left the church, that's just, it's backsliding, and sometimes we do that. Sometimes we just take off and we do not fellowship. We don't want to talk to anybody. We've been offended by the church. We've been offended by the pastor. We've been offended by a deacon, an elder, somebody else we don't get along with. And so we say, people are all sinners in there. They're all a bunch of hit, hypocrites, which is true. And so we turn away. If you turn away and you say, because of your people, God, I'm leaving the church, God says, I put those people right next to you to perfect you as iron sharpens iron. So even if you choose to lose, leave Lakeside, you go somewhere else. You say, okay, I've been offended. I can't reconcile this thing. It's not going to work out. You just say, I'm going to go somewhere else. Now, there may be a transition time. I get that. It could be for a month. It could be for a year but God is constantly working on that individual saying you need to get back in fellowship because that's why God is building his church if somebody first John chapter 5 if you go out from us I think it's chapter 5 if you go out from us you are never part of us the person that goes out from us as believers we need to say what are you doing you know the Bible says you have great assurance if you're in the faith but if you're not in the faith you don't have that great assurance you don't know that salvation is correct. So in closing, and I have to end, it's the top of the hour. In closing, for, and this goes for all of us, and I used to do this. I used to give anecdotal stories for how I felt, and it just seemed right to me. And then I ran across that verse that says, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is destruction. In other words, it feels right, it's, it's okay, I can take this time, I know this, that God says, do not forsake the gathering together of the brethren as is the habit of some. And all the more as you see the day approaching. How close is the day? It seems like it's right around the corner. I mean, all the evidence that is out there. So even in this day and age, if you know somebody who's in the church that says, I'm going to take a break. You know, I'm going to get away from this church for a while or that church or just the church corporate. We need to encourage that person. Look, no matter what you do, you need to be part of the corporate church. And people condemn the church because there's so many hypocrites and everything in there and the pastors that are gleaning money from everybody and look, there are problems. But God's building it, whether Episcopalian, Catholic, Methodist, Calvary Chapel, Pre- Reformed. It doesn't matter. Be in fellowship. It's the fellowship of the saints. That's where God preserves us. If we go out, that's why if somebody in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if they sin, what are you supposed to do? Kick them out of the church if they're unrepentant. The person who says, I know I've sinned, I need help, then you're supposed to bring them in close and help them. But the other person, you're supposed to send them away from fellowship so that they might experience the loss and be prompted by the Holy Spirit to come back. Now, all I'm doing is standing on Scripture. Remember, we don't want to make up stories for ourselves that seem to fit our particular situation because we will always be led in the wrong direction. Let's pray. It's past the time. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word and we ask that You would establish it in our hearts and for whatever we think or whatever we feel, we pray, Lord, that You would lift up Your Word and make it paramount. We know that You have placed Your Word above Your name. And so, Father, with that in mind... I pray that we would follow you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and communicate this to the world and those that we know that are backslidden. Give us the opportunity, if they're not in fellowship, to invite them, to encourage them, to give them a verse that may be of assistance, uh, to pray for them, Lord, as often as we think about it. But, Lord, help us in this endeavor to do your will in all things. And, again, may your word be our guide. In Jesus' name. And the church said... Amen. May God bless you guys.